Hello and welcome to another 2023 BMJ Sexually Transmitted Infections podcast series, which we are releasing in honor of the World AIDS Day on the 1st of December 2023. I'm Fabiola Martin, the BMJ SDI podcast editor and sexual health specialist based in Australia and clinical lecturer at School of Public Health at University of Queensland. Today we will focus on young people who live with HIV. Adolescents and young people represent a significant share of people living with HIV worldwide. While in many countries the vertical transmission of HIV has been practically eliminated, in many other world regions it remains a devastating problem with serious consequences. In 2022 alone, 255,000 to 760,000 young people between the ages of 10 to 24 were newly infected with HIV of whom 35,000 to 250,000 were adolescents between the ages of 10 and 19. I had the pleasure to listen to a wonderful lecture on long-acting antiretrovirals used to treat young people living with HIV in July at IS23 in Brisbane. And so it is a pleasure to welcome the eloquent and passionate lecturer, Professor Natella Rachmanina, who is a professor of pediatrics at the George Washington University and the director of the HIV program at Children's National Hospital today. Hi, Natella. Welcome to our podcast. Could you please inform our listeners a little bit about your wonderful work? Hi, Fabiola, and thank you for inviting me to join your podcast today. I have been leading the one of the largest uh, pediatric and adolescent HIV program in Washington, D.C. at Children's National Hospital now for over 20 years. I also conduct a lot of research and I work with a multidisciplinary team of different providers at Children's National Program that include nurses, physicians, uh, psychologists, nutritional specialists and case managers. Wow, fantastic. You seem to have assembled a fantastic team. Coming to our questions, could you inform us about the epidemiology of HIV infection in young people, children and adolescents? Do we have good prevalence and incidence data? Well, I happen to work in Washington, D.C., which is not only the capital of United States, but it's also in one of the hot spots for HIV epidemic nationally. When I joined Children's Hospital in the beginning of this century in 2002, our prevalence of HIV was as high as over 8% of population living in D.C. living positively. We have come long way alone. It's now down to 1.7%. The adolescents comprise close to a quarter of all new cases. Nationally, in U.S., in recent years, we have seen some good tendency with a positive decline in the new infections among young people. And now I see in less than 10,000 cases each year, I believe down to a little bit over 6,000. So there is some positive progress there. However, we also are seeing growing proportion of the youth who were born with HIV perinatally infected globally and some in the U.S., and that proportion in recent years has grown. So adolescent HIV is a very challenging mixture of those who were born with a disease or acquired it during breastfeeding period and now grow up to be adolescents and young adults and those who have acquired infection during this beautiful time of their life and have to deal with this infection lifelong. Fantastic summary. And I can see that um, 
though the problem has reduced, there's still a lot of patients that you have to um, take care of. And so may I ask, what is your experience with treating HIV in young people in general? Well, young people are challenging because this is a time when there are a lot of changes occurring in their lives. And having the chronic health condition that's currently non-curable and something that you have to carry on and until recently just take every day some different medicines, anywhere from one pill to several pills a day, depending on your disease and on your virus, is very challenging task. This is a time of life where people change physiologically, they change biologically, physically, they acquire different characteristics, they start having completely new life experiences, Uh, it is the age of onset of sexual activities, and very important transitions in your life in education, becoming the person who can have a job, and yet in many instances still quite dependent on old adult people uh, older than them for the income, for the food and housing. So combining all this factors with the sense of use and sense of feeling invisible and not frequently feeling and understanding the long-term consequences of chronic disease like HIV together makes it quite challenging for them to stay engaged in care, to take the daily medications, to attend regular appointments, and to bring this big piece into the daily lives of remembering and living with HIV. And one important aspect also is a stigma and the need to build up new relationships in a completely new domain of your life. And the stigma of HIV, as we know, is not gone. So all of these factors make the care of young people living with HIV quite challenging. It doesn't mean it cannot be overcome, but it does represent a lot of challenges. Thank you, Natella. I work with a lot of young people myself, and I understand the challenges uh, that you're facing. And so... I'm sure, just like myself, you're really excited to work now with medication that allows the young person to, you know, avoid having to take the medication daily or having to come to clinics frequently. So, for example, do you use long-acting HIV antiretrovirals a lot? And were there any difficulties in implementing injectables in your clinic? Well, you are right to ask these questions because I'm very proud to say why among the first programs in U.S., among very few programs that launched uh, injectable long-acting drugs, which are currently available in two forms. Uh, there are two drugs that are available for intramuscular injection, uh, and there is another drug that is approved now for use as subcutaneous injection in combination with other drugs. But the two injections that are intramuscular comprise the full treatment regimen that they can completely substitute the daily oral pill that you need to take to treat your disease. And this uh, something that we rolled out as among the first programs in the country, especially aiming at uh, adolescents and young people. It was not without challenges. The drugs got approved in January 2021 for the use initially over 18 years of age, but the drugs are approved to be used in those who are already doing well on oral pill. They have suppressed viral load. They have shown that they're engaged in care. And this is sometimes not the population who wants these injections. Nevertheless, we rolled it out and started the first patients in the clinic in September of the same year. It took us a few months. We needed to get everyone's buy-in. 
It's completely changed the way our clinic operated. Until then, all injections we ever did were just yearly flu shots. And this required a complete redesign of the flow of the clinic, but also required each team member to be on board and agree to do that and feel enthusiastic about that. And I will be open to say that there were, of course, some reservations about how to do it right. And we were learning as we were doing it. We started it in September. And then as the guidelines allowed to lower the age and weight limits for the drug. We expanded it to younger patients in March of 2022. So overall now, I'm very proud to say we have now two years of experience. One of our first patients just celebrated in clinic with a staff being two years on injectable formulations. And I can tell you for a lot of our young people, that's became a completely transforming experience. They are sharing that being able to go on the injections versus thinking of pills every day and they get this injection some every month, some every two months, has really brought a completely new sense of freedom and sense of self-management, of self-support that they have not had before when they took oral medications. Now we are looking into the opportunities and new data and studies of being able to use these formulations in the patients who don't have such a good history of taking the meds might struggle with adherence and might have detectable viral load. That's our next stage to explore. Fantastic. And in order to avoid any confusion, do you, could you share with us the generic uh, name of the medication you use? Sure, absolutely. So the full treatment regimen that can substitute completely oral regimen and can be administered as two intramuscular injections has a, a brand name Cabinu, and it's comprised of two shots of two different medications, one called Cabotegravir and another one called Relpivirine. So having two of these injections usually delivered in your buttocks, and you can have those injections given to you every month or every two months. There is another drug that I mentioned that's called Lenacopavir. That is very interesting drug that's been developed in recent years. It can even be subcutaneously. That drug currently is uh, only given in combination with oral medications. So that does not provide an opportunity for the full regimen chest or injection, but there is a lot of potential of exploring, combining different injectable formulations together. And we are looking into other different modalities, such as implants and other options that can be available for young people globally to help them get away from that pressure and burden of thinking about disease every day and thinking about opening a pill bottle, even with one pill, but still thinking about opening the pill bottle every day for the reminder of their lives. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, just one final short message. Do you have anything you want to share with our listeners, Natella? Yes, I do want to share that currently injectable formulations still come at a high cost as any newly developed drug once they hit the market. And one of the strong advocacy that each one of us can do, even if you do not work at all in HIV field, is to keep advocating for lowered cost and access and generic production of those formulations so they become available not only to the kids in my clinic in Washington, D.C., but globally to all the young people and adolescents who would want to have this treatment treatment option uh, available to them. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Natella, for your time and effort. Here with me today is Professor Natella Rachmanina, Professor of Pediatrics at George Washington University and the Director of the HIV Program at Children's National Hospital. 
Many thanks also to you um, who are interested and faithful listeners for following us on your preferred listening app and on Twitter and Facebook. We look forward to receiving your comments. And finally, my special thanks also to the BMJ podcast team. We will be back soon and please stay tuned. Until then, goodbye and stay safe.